honored that they would take time out of their very busy schedule uh, to be with us today. It is our esteemed honor to have us have with us uh, Bishop and Sister Bernard. And I wonder, as they come, if you will receive them with a warm hand clap of appreciation that they have come to Cincinnati, Ohio. God bless them. We love you, Brother and Sister Bernard. Bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. It certainly is great to be here in Cincinnati today with the two churches, and we uh, appreciate Pastor Urshan for giving us this opportunity and Pastor Sizemore for being the host. And I am looking forward to what God's going to do tonight, but also what God's going to do in the next few minutes. So I want us to open our hearts, and my wife is going to sing in a moment, but I just want to take a few minutes before I preach to just let you know God is doing amazing things around our world. I don't have to tell you that we're living in times of unprecedented turmoil, chaos, with uh, the medical crisis, the economic crisis, racial and social tensions, and political polarization, and you just name it. But the church needs to be the church. Now, we, we probably have different views right here in this building on all kinds of things. Vaccinations, masks, uh, social issues, what's the right way to handle this, who to vote for, who not to vote for. We could go on endlessly about that. But in the midst of that, we need to understand we must remain united as the people of God, of every race, every background, every walk of life. Because what this world needs more than anything else is somebody to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, we're not minimizing the problems. We're not ignoring the problems. And I encourage you to be involved in your community as whatever you feel God leading you and to minister to hurting people. But at the end of the day, we're not going to solve our problems by arguing on social media. We're not going to solve our problems by arguing in the parking lot. But we can do more to save souls by being Christians and showing the love of God, praying with people who can be healed, who can be delivered, who can be set free. That's what the church is all about. And that's what we're going to keep doing. Our mission as the United Pentecostal Church International is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. And I'm happy to tell you that of 210 nations around the world as identified by the Population Reference Bureau, we're now in 198 out of the 210. And we're working on the last 12. We have over 42,000 churches, including our preaching points worldwide. Here in the U.S. and Canada, our home base, we're approaching almost 11,000 credential ministers. Uh, approaching, well, we have over 4,800 churches. And so we're able to do this because of churches just like your churches. Because you are praying, you are believing. Your pastors are interacting at conferences and you're going to district events and, and you are giving to missions and you are winning souls locally to grow the church. Because each of you are doing that, then we can reach the world with the gospel. And I'll just tell you this also. Whenever you read about national events, disasters and crises, you won't read this in the media, but the United Pentecostal Church is there. 
So, have you heard about the terrible earthquake in Haiti and, uh, and, and the disaster there and the assassination of the president? Well, we have over 50,000 believers in Haiti. We have churches on the ground, and right now through Compassion Services and through Reach Out America, both are approved relief organizations of the UPCI. We are flying. I can't tell you, but there is a prominent uh, corporation that doesn't want to be identified but they are giving us airplane space that we're flying supplies and we're making $50 packets of immediate relief supplies and distributing it through all of our churches throughout Haiti. That's what you're doing. You didn't know that, but that's what you're doing. You've heard about the crisis in Afghanistan. It's officially one of those unreached nations. I will be discreet, but we have national leaders or national preachers from neighboring countries that have been going in there. In fact, the latest I know, we have two of our preachers that are stuck there and we're trying to extract them. So we are working right now behind the scenes in Afghanistan to help Christians in that country. And who knows, in the midst of crisis, God will open doors. That's what your church is doing. So I thank you for being part of our worldwide fellowship. Well, let's continue to worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful to feel the Spirit of God in this building. This building is just a building, but it's you being in this building, worshiping His name that creates a, a momentum of His Spirit. I'm so thankful that when you walk into a room, He's already there. Put your, hand right, put your finger right here and say, He knows my name. Don't ever think that you're ever alone. All you have to do is say one name, and what is that name? Jesus, and he's in the midst of wherever you are. You have got to have confidence to know wherever you are, you call his name. He's there, and he knows your name.
Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that he knows your name? I worship you this morning. Well, let's all stand together, worship him a little bit more. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We appreciate you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your care for us. Hallelujah. 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 Remain standing for just a moment as I go to the word of the Lord. I want to read from the book of Daniel. It has a lot of prophecy concerning the end time. Some of it has been fulfilled. Some of it hasn't been. Some of it was in Daniel's day or the immediate future. But some of it relates also to the end time. And, uh, but at least wherever it is in fulfillment, the principle is valid for all time. And so I want to read from Daniel chapter 11 talking about an evil ruler that would arise. It was fulfilled in part by Antiochus Epiphanes in uh, the first century B.C. It'll be fulfilled, I believe, in the end time with the person we often call the Antichrist. But I want you to notice the principle that works here. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. It says... And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. So that's the evil ruler. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. That's us. People who know God. That's what I want to preach today. You may be seated. People who know God. Now as I mentioned a moment ago, we have prophecy here that I don't want to get involved with too much, but Daniel saw ahead uh, the trouble that would face his people with this evil ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes, who uh, uh, just conquered the, uh, the city of Jerusalem, entered into the temple, desecrated the temple with a pig sacrificed on the altar, set himself up as God, and demanded worship. But Jesus said, even after all that happened, the abomination of desolation is yet to come. So there's yet a future ruler who will do something like that. In the book of Revelation, we think of him as the beast, or we often use the term antichrist. And there's a lot of speculation about the mark of the beast. Let me just tell you my personal opinion. If you read Revelation 13, it will be a visible mark on your hand or forehead. It will signify that you are worshiping this evil ruler, and you won't be able to buy or sell without it. And, of course, the Antichrist will not be able to completely implement his system because there will be the Battle of Armageddon. The Lord will come, and a lot of people who never bowed to him will go into the Millennial Kingdom. And others who refuse to bow will be martyred. That time is coming, and people are really worried. Uh, but you're not going to accidentally take the mark of the beast. You're not going to unknowingly take the mark of the beast. If you're worried about that, let me just tell you, if you're faced with a decision to worship some ruler or some person other than Jesus, you know to draw the line. All right? Now, could there be things that are precursors to the Antichrist? Absolutely. Our world computer system, the Internet, video, 
The book of Revelation talks about the whole world will see the image uh, of the beast. How will that happen? Well, previous generations could believe it, but they couldn't understand it. We can understand in actuality how the whole world could see the image of the beast. We understand how the whole world could be put under an economic system, whether you're talking about chips or uh, universal product code or scanners or tattoos or whatever, or, or the whole world could be tracked. If you're worried about somebody injecting someone to track you, let me tell you something. You already have that. It's called a cell phone. So the technology is here. And it is scary and frightening. But let me just say this. The next great event, as far as I understand, in the history of the church is not the coming of the Antichrist. The next great event is the coming of Jesus Christ. When all these things begin to come to pass, look up. For your redemption, draw nigh. I refuse to be discouraged. I will be encouraged because this is the day of revival. This is the day where we're looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. Should we be concerned? Yes. Should we be cautious? Yes. Should we investigate? Yes. Should we stand against evil? Yes. But should we live in fear, doubt, discouragement, Absolutely not. Because when evil arises, notice what the Word of God says. The people who know their God will also rise up. As evil abounds, yet God's grace abounds. In fact, the Bible says where sin does abound, the grace of God does much more abound. The darker the night, the brighter the light. This is the day of revival. This is the day of soul winning. This is the day for church growth. This is the day for lost loved ones to be saved. This is the day in the last days, says God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Oh, let's praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, yes. The spirit of Antichrist is already working. It was working in the first century, according to 1 John. It's not really that new of a thing. The spirit of evil is already working. It seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. But the spirit of evil is not the only thing that's working. Because when evil begins to work, God begins to work in an even greater way. And God's people are working. So if you're worried about the spirit of Antichrist, it seems to be overwhelming our nation, our world. And, and we should be concerned. It's tragic the things that are happening in our nation. But how can we overcome and have victory in such a time? This verse of scripture gives us the answer. The people who know their God will rise up and do exploits. The NIV says the people that know God will firmly resist evil. The people who know God will be the ones that will stand up and preach truth and righteousness and holiness and justice and mercy. It's the people who know God. There will be a refuge in time of storm. The people who know God. And we're no better than anyone else. But one thing we can say, we are the people who know God. Because we know there's only one true and living God. We know God is not a multiplicity of persons. 
that you have three spirits living in your heart and you divide your prayers to person A for 15 minutes, person B for 15 minutes, person C for 15 minutes. We understand that's not the way to go. We know when we get to heaven, we're not going to see three bodies on three thrones, but we're going to see one personal being on one throne. We're the people who know God. And if you want to know who that one person is, the Bible says his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. We know. That's one true God revealed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is actually God himself manifested in the flesh. He's the great I am. Whatever you need today, God can supply that need. If you're sick in the body, your body, he says, I am your healer. If you're lost in sin, I am your savior. If you're thirsty, I am the living water. If you're hungry, I am the bread of life. If you're lost, I am the good shepherd. Whatever you need, he's the rock of ages. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the first, he's the last, and he's everything in between. Jesus Christ is the one true God. Oh, we are the people who know our God. Praise God. When God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, Jehovah, Yahweh, and commissioned him to go to Egypt faced the mightiest king of that world and demand deliverance for people in slavery. Moses was intimidated by that thought. And so he kind of danced around it and said, basically, who am I that I would go? And God didn't try to, as 21st century psychologists would do, oh, you're great. You can do anything. You can do whatever you want. You can achieve. You can become he didn't say that. Basically, God pretty much said, yeah, you're right. You're nobody. Because he said, here's the answer. I will be with you. You may be nothing, but don't worry about that. Don't listen to what the devil says about you. Listen to what God says. I will be with you. As the song says, he knows my name. You may be nobody and nothing as far as this world is concerned, but you know God God knows you, and that way you can say, I can do all things, not in myself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. People who know God. But that wasn't enough for Moses. He said, now when I go to the people, who shall I say is sending me? It was kind of a roundabout question about he said, well, the people need to know. I think he needed to know too. Otherwise, he would have already known what to tell the people. So you can see Moses kind of edging this. Well, that's great, God, that you're going to be with me. Oh, that's, that's amazing. But uh, uh, now, who are you? I mean, who am I supposed to say you are? And God gave him a great revelation. He said, you know, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm Jehovah, Yahweh, the one you always know, the one you worship, the only one. But he says, I'm going to show you who I really am. I am that I am. I am who I am. In other words, I'm the eternal God, the self-existent God. Everybody else has to define themselves by titles. So I am the general superintendent. Oh, that sounds like a great title. But that means I'm not the pastor here. So there's not a lot I could do about whatever's going on here. If I said, I'm the president of the United States, well, you're not the president of Russia, you're not the president of China, 
It might be the most powerful position in the world, but it's pretty limiting. So God doesn't limit himself by any title, no matter how great it is. He just says, I am. I could be whatever I want to be. I could be whatever my people need me to be. I am who I am. Praise God. When you get a revelation of who God is, then you can do whatever God calls you to do. I don't care what's going around in society. I don't care the evil that's coming against you. I don't care the division in the community, even in your family. If you'll just hold on to Jesus, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So we are the people who know God. We know there's only one God. We know his name. It's Jesus. Now, it's not just merely the sound of the name. But the name represents his character, who he really is, what he's really like. So you have to know what kind of God he is, a God of love and mercy. You have to know he's a God of all power and authority. You have to know his presence will be with you. That's what makes the name of Jesus different than every other name in the world. When you call my name, Bernard, say, help, Bernard, help. Well, if I'm in St. Louis, I probably won't hear you. Or even if you get me on the phone, I'll probably say, look, you know, it's going to take me, what, five hours to get here. So if you can hold on the side of the road for five hours, I, maybe I can come help you. If you're being attacked and beaten up, well, just try to fend off the attackers for five hours. And, but then when I get here, what can I do? I'll get beat up too. So there's a limit to what good the name Bernard can do. But what makes the name of Jesus different? When you're in the midst of trouble... When you're under demonic attack, when you have a high fever in the middle of the night, what you do is you say, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And literally, he is as close as the mention of his name, the people who know their God. They'll rise up. They'll do great things. They'll resist evil. They'll achieve victory. Not only do they know about God, they know God. Not only do they know him historically, they know him presently. They know him personally. They know how to get in touch with him. You have to know how to get in touch with your God that you can call on his name at a moment's notice and you already have the relationship. You've already been communicating in daily prayer. You've already been striving to walk with him and live a holy life. So when the crisis comes, you don't have to fumble around and say, okay, where is God? What kind of a God is he? Does he really care about me? What's he gonna do? That's already taken care of because you know God. In the moment of need, you call, and he answers. That can happen for an individual. That can happen for a family. That can happen for a church. In time of need, you can call on God. I'll tell a story. I've told it before. It goes back to the years and years ago, but maybe it'll help somebody. Because I know Tree of Life is in this massive building program. That's interesting. And uh, Grace Point, you have... A beautiful building here but uh, that has requirements too um, and so I remember my wife and I started church in Austin Texas in 1992 in our home and then we went to a rented building and we were packed out the rented building we had 125 people 
uh, regularly and 150 on a peak Sunday, which we couldn't even fit anybody in there. We couldn't hardly fit 100 people. And so we had simultaneous children's service and uh, adult service, and then we didn't really have a platform, so we just started putting chairs all the way up to just right where the preacher was. And then when we give the altar call, we'd move the three, two or three rows of chairs, turn them around, make them altars. And then we had people in the foyer. We were renting a little denominational church, so it was fine. The air conditioning was fine for 20 people on Sunday morning of denominational worship. But when you have a bunch of Pentecostals on Sunday afternoon in Texas summer, so we got permission to buy a new air conditioning system. And of course, we had to have a new PA system. Their PA system worked fine when you're just talking to 20 people and in a low voice, but when you're yelling and having music and all kinds of stuff going on in a Pentecostal church, we had to get a new PA system. So we maxed out everything. We bought some property. We got our building plans approved, all this, so we're ready to build. Well, by the time we're ready to build, we had a $500,000 loan, which is a miracle for a small church, three years old, and, uh, but yet when we came to build, we needed $600,000 in addition to everything we'd raised and saved and given. And so that was a 20% increase because of all the increase in prices and the city regulations and everything we had to go through. And that may not sound like much to people like Pastor Sizemore and Pastor Urson, you know, just 100,000 bucks. That's nothing. But when you're a three-year-old church and you're borrowing 500,000 and now you have to borrow 600,000, the bank says, no way. I was really discouraged because we got all this way and we couldn't do it. And I felt like, well, if we get delayed another year, the prices are going to go up, and we'll just get further and further behind. So it's not a matter of trying to raise $100,000. It's a matter of we're stuck, and we're going to start going backwards, and what can we do? So I, I did have enough sense to call a special prayer meeting. And uh, we had a good prayer meeting. At the end, I was closing and dismissal, having everybody stand and say, remember service Sunday. And suddenly a young man, a new, basically a new convert, began speaking out. He said, you cannot, he, he, he said, you cannot see healing, but I see healing. You cannot see a miracle, but I see a miracle. You cannot see a new building, but I see a new building. You had to know he's a relative new convert because he didn't use King James English. He didn't know any better. All he knew that God was just speaking. Well, when he said, you cannot see healing, my mother-in-law had a back injury from a car wreck for two years she'd suffered. She came up and says, I want to claim that healing. We laid hands on her instantly. She was healed. Pain went away. That was exciting. So the following week, we're in our midweek service. We're worshiping. And my wife's grandfather, who was 81 years old, all of a sudden he just fell over, like in the second or third row. He just fell over. Of course, we stopped the whole church for maybe, what, 40 people there. And, and we gathered around him, and you could tell. You didn't have to be a medical doctor. His eyes rolled back. His mouth hung open. All the color left his face. He was just slumped over, no control. I think we had a nurse or two there that checked his pulse, no pulse, no heartbeat. He wasn't breathing. That's about as serious as it can get, right? So obviously one of the ushers races and calls 911. So we're just standing there in shock. What do you do? We're waiting for the ambulance. And we pray nothing happened. So what do you do next? Well, I don't I didn't know what else to do. So I said, well, let's pray again. 
The second time we prayed, suddenly he coughed. He took a breath, sat up, color bang came back to his face. He looked around. He says, what's going on? What's wrong? What are y'all looking at me for? He said, I feel fine. Well, by this time, the ambulance came, so the paramedics are checking him out. They say, he's fine. Nothing's wrong. Can't find anything. His heart's fine. His breathing's fine. Pulse is normal. Heart, you know, his blood pressure is normal. He says, I told you I was fine. I feel like a 70-year-old man. He's joking, you know. And so we said, well, we're going to take you to the hospital. Took him to the hospital. He went through all the tests. The doctor came out and talked to me and some of the other family said, he's got 99% blockage in his carotid artery. He's about to have a stroke. We need to take him into surgery immediately. We don't have time. We can't bring him out. We have to get your permission. He, he could die any minute. So I said, doctor, I think he already had the stroke. The doctor said, no, that's impossible because we've done all this brain scans. If he had a stroke, we could see where it hit and we could see where it affected his body. But there is no stroke because there is no damage, there's no effect, nothing on the... I said, well, doctor, how do you explain what happened at the church? He said, you know, he must have fainted. He said, you're really fortunate that he fainted. It's just a, co a lucky coincidence because, you know, if he hadn't have fainted, you wouldn't have come here and you wouldn't have got checked out and he would have died the next day or two of a stroke. Well, that's the best the doctor could say based on the evidence. I'm not disrespecting the doctor. But knowing what I know, even though I'm not a doctor, I don't think when you faint, you stop breathing and your heart stops beating and there's no pulse. What it, I suddenly realized, he died of a stroke and God raised him up. Then I remembered, you cannot see a miracle, but I see a miracle. That was part two. So now, I was starting to have faith. Being the great spiritual leader that I am, I'm starting to believe. Something could happen. And you know, we kept checking with banks, and within one week after that first prophecy, another bank called me and said, we looked over your file. And if we give, so the first bank was giving us 2% above prime because we're a three-year-old church, high risk. So this other, this major bank in downtown Austin, now why they would do that doesn't make any business sense. They said, we're going to give you the prime rate, the rate we give to our best customers. When we do that, we can add the $100,000 and it'll still be the same mortgage payment that you had already budgeted. That's the same as if they just gave us $100,000. Boom. We started our building. And within two years after getting into that building, we had doubled from 150 to two, 125 to 250 because that became the open door for growth and revival. What I'm trying to say is when you, it seems your back is against the wall. It might be financially it might be physically, it might be your family, it might be your whole church. That's not the time to give up. Keep working, keep praying, keep believing. When you don't know what else to do, keep doing what you know to do. Don't give up now. In time of trouble, don't run away from God, run to God. Don't run away from the church, 
run to the church. Don't run away from the pastor. Run to the pastor. When you don't know what else to do, keep on doing what you know to do. Keep coming to church. Keep praying. Keep believing. Preacher, keep preaching. Keep teaching. Keep on keeping on. Keep on moving ahead until the answer comes. You have to know your God. You have to know how to get in touch with God. You have to hold on until the answer comes. The people who know their God will rise up and do exploits. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So God is in control. And I'll fast forward because I didn't know the rest of the story, but in 2007, this was going to be our third building. We're, needed, we're, we're going to have the next week a capital campaign. We need to raise at least $3 million. And we're going to build, uh, we, we had bought thir- 12 acres of land on the freeway, one of the major freeways in Austin. We're going to build a building that about 50,000 square feet would be uh, completed initially, but we'd have a shell and we could span to the other 50,000. It would be 100,000. And we'd have initial sanctuary of 1,000, but it was expandable to 2,500. So this was the huge step. Well, right about a week or two before, my mother-in-law was rushed to the hospital with an unexplained internal bleeding. She almost died, but God, we found it just in time. We prayed, and the doctors never could figure out what happened because God just healed her. That was interesting. Well, then, I won't tell the whole story for sake of time, but I was sitting in my home uh, having dinner with my wife, and all of a sudden, my left hand started moving of its own accord. I turned to my wife and said, something's wrong. When I said that, the speech came out slurred. The right side of my face fell. I couldn't speak clearly. Obviously, what's that? Stroke. So she ran to call 911. So I'm sitting there, I can think I'm having a stroke. So what do you do? Only thing I know to do, so I put, there's nobody to pray for me. My, my wife is understandably no doubt praying, but she's on the phone. And so what do you do? I just put my own hand on my own head. And I said, in the name of Jesus. When I said that, my speech started coming clearly. And then I felt... I'm going to be all right. Well, maybe the preachers can relate to that. I was supposed to teach a leadership class that night, so I was thinking, man, i got to call our pastoral assistant so he can take over the class. So uh, tell him I'm on chapter such and such. This is, well, I tried to tell my wife, well, all my speech was clear, but when I came to like a key word, I couldn't say the word. So I, I knew what I wanted to say. I couldn't say it. So I wrote it out. I wrote a note, and I gave it to her. I got in the ambulance, and I'm racing to the hospital. I'm thinking, you know, I'm supposed to have this capital campaign next week. If I can't preach, nobody's going to give to the capital campaign. Uh, I can't be a pastor. My wife and kids don't have anything to eat. You know, what's going to happen? And I felt the Lord say, this is why you live by faith. It's for times like this. So I told the attendant that was working with me, checking on my vital signs, I said, you know, I'm a pastor. I have a lot of people playing for me right now. I said, no, what I mean is I have a lot of people playing for me right now. She says, I understand stroke. Don't worry about it. So 
it was ironic. I couldn't say certain words. Well, make a long story short, I got to the hospital after about an hour. All the symptoms went away. They did all kind of tests. The next day, the neurologist said, you know, there's no sign of stroke. You don't have high blood pressure. You don't have cholesterol. You don't have heart problems. You don't have brain problems. We can't find anything. And so he made me talk about all the symptoms. Well, to make a long story short, the symptoms would indicate damage to both sides of my brain at the same time. He said, you probably had a TIA, which is a short-term temporary blockage in one little place of the brain. But he says, the only problem with that is that can only affect one little area. It couldn't affect both sides of the brain at the same time. So I said, well, doctor, how do you explain that? He says, well, only way I could explain it is that maybe you had a massive stroke that hit both sides of the brain, but then for some reason it spontaneously reversed itself and went away. It spontaneously reversed itself. When the doctor said that, I thought, you know what? I know when that happened. When I put my hands on my head and said, in the name of Jesus, people who know God. Now, the first story I told was 1995. This second story is 2007. Looking back on it, God is amazing. To give us faith for our very first building, we had an instant healing, an instant miracle, an instant supply of money. To enter this final phase, and I was going to get elected general superintendent a couple years later, I didn't realize that, but this was going to be the last building. Instant healing, instant miracle, deliverance from a stroke. And we did make our $3 million pledge or commitment. And for the first time, it's not the last time, but the first time, I had a businessman who'd sold a business. He came up and gave me a check for $1 million. Brother Buller, that was a very interesting experience to hold a check for $1 million. We used that to pay off our old building, and we were ready to go into our new building. A parallel miracle. I told you all that to build your faith. Whatever you in face in the next six months or year, I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I know if there are enough people who will call on the Lord, you can do great and mighty things in Cincinnati, Ohio. Do not think small. Do not live in fear. Do not live in doubt. Yes, use wisdom. Yes, use good stewardship. Yes, work hard. But at the end of the day, you need a miracle. You need God to intervene. You need to call on the name of Jesus, and the Lord will do the work. Let me share one more scripture, and then I'll be closing. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Notice what it says about people who know God and who know how to call upon the name of the Lord. It says, Thus saith the Lord, not let the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. 
I'm glad that God has given us people of influence and professions and people of wealth and people of skill and people of talent. But I want you to know the church is always going to be a po- composed of people from every race and walk of life and every background and from the homeless to the wealthy. It's all got to be part of the church. So I, if God has blessed you in some way, Good. Use that to bless the kingdom. But do not brag. Do not boast. Do not think you're better than anybody else. You're no better than the homeless person that's sitting by you or the person that's just gotten out of rehab and God is doing a work of deliverance. You're no better. By the grace of God, God has blessed you. But don't brag about that. If you want to brag, there's one thing you can brag about. I know God. God has saved me. God has rescued me. I know the name of Jesus. I know how to pray. I know how to have relationship with God. That's the only thing you can brag about. And you got to know what kind of God he is. Notice verse 24. Uh, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth, knowing me, that I am the God which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. If you really claim to know God, he's a God of loving kindness. That means merciful love. If you don't show love to everybody, you don't know God. That's why the church has to be inclusive of every race, every nationality, every ethnicity, every walk of life, every background of sin. Every background of sin? Are you for real? What if someone who is addicted to something comes? What if someone who comes who's living an alternative lifestyle? Do we respect them, love them? Yes, we respect them and love them. You say, well, what do we do with somebody like that if they come and they have a same-sex marriage or this or that or transgender? What do we do? What do we do? I'll tell you what to do. Hello, my name is John. What's your name? Glad to have you in church today. Now, when they come, are they going to hear truth? Yes. Are they going to hear that God has a plan for your life? Yes. Are they going to hear that you need to repent? Yes. But they are going to hear the love of God. That if you know God, you will love souls. You will welcome souls. You will encourage souls. Where would you want sinners to go? Sick people need to go to the hospital. Sinners need to go to the church. We have to have a place where sinners can come and be welcomed, loved, valued, and changed. If you know God, that's the kind of church you want to be. Loving kindness, judgment, or another word is justice. Do we stand for justice? Yes. When evil things happen, the, some of the things that happened last year where police officers do wrong, can we say that's wrong? Of course we can. We must. We have to stand against racism. We have to stand for righteousness, justice, wherever it is. But as I said at the beginning, our primary focus is not going to be political action, although we may feel led to be engaged in our community. But our primary focus has always got to be the gospel because we've got to change the human heart. We got to change human relationships. We got to change families. We got to change little kids being brought up in to love God and love people. But we're going to always stand for justice and righteousness. Let me just say this. This is a holiness church. 
This is a gospel church, a Jesus-named church, a spirit-filled church, a speaking-in-tongues church. We have to stand for righteousness. We believe that God's righteousness changes you. We're not saved by our good works, but God's righteousness will go flow into us. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we talk. It changes our relationships. It changes the way we dress. It changes what we choose for our amusements. It helps us understand the distinction between male and female and to proclaim that and portray that in our appearance, our hair, our dress. Yes, God has standards of righteousness. That's the kind of God he is. And if you say, God is love, so it doesn't matter what I do, you don't know God. Yes, God is love, but he's also a God of justice and righteousness. You say, well, I know people are seeming so blessed and they ignore everything you say. I know churches that are growing and they don't care about that. Listen, the end is not yet. I don't want to bet against God. I'm going to bet in the end, truth and righteousness will prevail. If you're trying to figure out which side to stand on, always stand on the side of truth. Always stand on the side of righteousness. Always stand on the side of holiness. Because in the end, Righteousness will win. Justice will prevail. If not in this life, in the life to come. You may be persecuted and oppressed for the rest of your life. But if you stand for truth, if you stand for righteousness, if you stand for holiness, on the other side, you will win. If you know your God, that's the way you'll live. Let's stand together. The people who know their God will stand up and do great things. So when the devil attacks, don't give in. Don't recoil in fear and doubt. Don't lash out, whether it's on social media or some other way, as if you can fight your own battles and win your own wars. No, you go to God. Call on the name of Jesus. Oh, I, I feel an anointing of the Holy Ghost. I feel something is happening right now. God is, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Faith is rising. And I believe this morning is a setup for tonight. But I don't think we have to wait till tonight to respond to what God wants to do now. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? And we're going to respect social distancing, so if you want a mask, if you want to come up but stay uh, away, or, or if you want to stay where you are, I'll give you that choice. And, that, and I don't know what you normally do here, but I'll just do it my way for a moment. If you feel the Lord is speaking to you, maybe you need to, you're not really serving God, and you want to. I want you to come up, and I want you to kneel or stand and begin to pray a simple prayer. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Please forgive me of my sins. I don't come here justifying anything, but I acknowledge my faults, my failures, my sins. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, give me a new start, give me power, fill me with your spirit. If, you're, if you haven't done that, it's called repentance. You need to do that right now. And please come. If you feel led, ask someone, I, I want to come to the front. Would you come with me? Just, just make your way up right now. And if you've already repented of your sins or, or if you will do that in the next few moments, what's going to happen is the burden of sin is going to lift. You will start feeling forgiveness. You'll start feeling hope. 
And a lot of people just turn around and quit and say, wow, that was great. I accepted Jesus. But that's, there's more to it. When you feel that burden lift, you start praising. And you need it with your lips. It can't be just silent, but you start speaking out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what I feel right now. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for forgiveness. Lord, fill me with your spirit. And as you worship, the spirit of God will fall. He will begin to fill you. And all of a sudden, you'll want to speak some words that you don't know. You can't clamp your mouth shut. You just have to keep praying. And you'll start speaking in a language you never learned before as God fills you with the Holy Ghost. It's called speaking in tongues. That can happen today. If there's somebody here, you haven't received the Holy Ghost, I want you to come right now. And we'll pray with you in a few minutes. God can fill you with his spirit. And if there's someone else, maybe you're struggling with a problem, a financial need, a health need, family need, and you feel like God has spoken to you, you feel like faith is rising. Maybe you've been one of those discouraged and frustrated in fear and anxiety and doubt. God is speaking to you today. Would you come? All across the building. I think we've got time, don't we? Don't just walk out now, but all across the building. Let's call upon the Lord. Let's seek after God. What does God want to do? The people who know their God are going to rise up and do great exploits. It's time to respond to the call of God. Let's worship together. As I turn this over to Pastor Ursh and Pastor Sizemore, music team, let's respond in faith to what God is doing. It's time to call on the name of Jesus. It's time to believe the Lord together.